Hi, everyone. This is John Artigo. I am the screenwriter for the upcoming John Draper Captain Crunch movie that we are working on, and it's going to be a very exciting project. Currently, you are listening to the Scene World Podcast. Hello! Hey, it's the Scene World podcast. That guy over there is Jurg. And this guy over here is, is yeah, what he said. Um, exactly. And this is the Scene World podcast. And in a minute, awesome. we are going to be talking to Jeff Scott, who is producing a film called I Adore My 64. Exactly. And uh, it looks awesome. Um, focusing a lot on the NTSC side of things, which is pretty neat. Because on the users, not on the Commodore creators. Exactly. That's yeah, not not going there. down the same route. But let's not let's not not uh, spoil that. Not uh, too the much. Coming up in a minute. Uh, before that, we got some news. Um, exactly. Shall I start or shall you? I mean, well, you can. Okay. So, um, I've seen a thing here about um, on. Where to go? Um, oh my god. Okay. <clears throat> On November fourth, twenty of twenty-three. That's this year. Um, that's a little bit over a month away, month and a half, at the time of recording this. There is going to be the um, the the Retro Computer Festival twenty twenty-three. That's going to be in Cambridge, UK, not America, not Germany. Uh, a nice little spot in between uh, from 9 to 5 p.m. Um, their time. Um, ticket prices are £10 adult, £7 child. There's concessions, there's families, rates, whatever. Um, they're having um, uh, Dexter's Tech Lab will be there. Uh, Tom Stapleton will be there. Um, Mitch Johns, Jonathan Pallant. Um, quite a bit of stuff that looks like it's going on, and it looks like a cool thing. It kind of looks like it kind of feels like the vintage computing fe computing festival that we do in the uh, the U.S., but in the U.K. So, um, yeah, it's going to be at the Center for Computing History, Cambridge. Mm -hmm. Um, so we will put a link to where you can check that out and see what's going on and everything. Um in the podcast description so that's for a one second thing. i thought you would mention a video game con but i was mistaken. well a video game con i don't know what's if that's actually happening um i did see something about um what they've been doing lately that i've noticed um is is more or less just having like a booth or a section in another con Mm. So, so like, like they were, they did a, the, a vendor's village at the normal place where they do the con on July 15th, which is a while back, which we did talk about in a previous thing. Um, but aside from that, most of what I see is them doing a booth or a room or something or a retro area within a larger con. And it doesn't look like a video game con as its own thing is, is happening this year. I don't. I don't think it happened last year either, uh, with COVID and everything. It's been sort of a you know 
it's weird. But I mean, I mean, let's go big back here. I mean, a video game con for most people who don't remember used to be a Kickstarter crowdfunding. Yes. And I got aware of that over a Twitch live stream from um, from Richie Knuckles, mm -hmm. where Billy Mitchell was present. Yes. And Billy Mitchell pledged on the Kickstarter live in the Twitch show. Mm -hmm. And they were actually having an argument if this is going to happen. And I remember you also pledged in the Kickstarter um, and you were yeah. like, this is too cheap. I can't believe yeah. that an entry ticket is just $15. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's probably not being successful. And you made a report video about it. And the first thing in the video was like, I guess we have to park on the grass. It's oh, so yeah, my brother and I here. Park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it, the very first one was packed it was massive and this is also a video game con is where we met paul salamine who is the guy that that coordinated it um we met lily stitches exactly last we met vonka romanoff who was also part of that there right through that um billy mitchell was there um um there's a dude in pennsylvania whose name uh, eludes me right now um that 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 was there there were a lot of of people that we were put in contact with via video games come that that are still you know like like in the in the, in the case of, of of lily and whatnot are still you know we we are still in contact with and and and, and whatnot um and then the second year was also pretty good the first year was like 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 balls out like like insane the first year was was like I mean, you know, Kit, the car, you know, from Knight Rider was, was sitting out front and, and everybody was, there was so much stuff. It was packed. The second year, it was slightly less packed, still had the same thing. Weirdly different vibe. The burlesque show had to happen with the lights on for some reason, which was really uncomfortable. Um, no Billy Mitchell that year. Um, some some more drama i don't remember what was happened after that uh third year i think there was a third year that i went to it um but i missed the main day i ended up going on like the sunday and right. by that point pretty much everything was closed up and not much was happening and then um then the the great choir happened and we couldn't do anything and everything sort of you know but I just checked it. It it was this year on July fifteenth. No, no, no. July fifteenth was was the vendors village. That's all it was. They didn't do an actual. Yeah, but on the homepage it says, "Vendor Village" was right. presented by a video game con. Right, right. But the but the but that's all it was, as far as I know. They yeah. didn't have the con. It was just the vendors area. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yes. But they were all. It's not were at, like it's not like they totally canceled it. Right. Right. They but, just made it a different event. Right. Different but October twenty seventh through 29th, they're going to be at DerpyCon twenty twenty three. That's at the Hyatt Regency New Brunswick in New Brunswick, New Jersey. So they're going to be, I guess, running the um, the retro area of DerpyCon. So. You know, nice, you can nice. still. So I guess you know they're just, and you know, and November seventeenth they're going to be at um, um, 
a brewing company, it looks like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, BTH Brewing, About the Hops Brewing Company. It says, grab a round of pixels and pints when we host a gaming event at these, these brewing companies at a, at a New Jersey brewery. So that should be nice and drunk. Um, so, yeah, they are doing things. It's just on a smaller scale than, than the original video game con. And that could just be because of, you know, because when things, you know, when when the quarantine happened, the funding disappeared, you couldn't do stuff. Um, and so, I, you know, I'm hoping that this is sort of like, you know, is a way for them to to get because a lot, you know, it was a popular event. A lot of people went to it. Um, Which is interesting by how small the promo started. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And, and yeah, you're right. I, I was like, this, there's no possible way that this can be the price of the tickets. And it was so. I mean, that's yeah. It was yeah, great I, 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 I know I, I, I convinced you to pledge on a Kickstarter. Yeah, and you yeah. were like, I'm not sure if this is even happening. Right, right. And, and it was a cool event, I, I, you know, and, 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 and we got to see sides of people that like, you know, a lot of people, you know, like to take a dump on Billy Mitchell. But that dude was there helping people load up at the end of the night. You know, like, like before, he before he came kind of in famous for right, other right. things right yeah. but nevertheless like like that's still the type of person he is you know and, and you know when we talked to casey ross you know she kind of you know was talking about that he's he's a nice guy and he was there you know random people that he didn't know he was helping them load their trailers after the thing you know like that's he didn't have to do that he was you know billy mitchell people were taking you know <laughs> right. people, I, I took a picture with him you know like i'll we'll put it right on the screen right here so you can see, you know. Send it to me. I will. But awesome. Um, yeah. And also I mean, the fact that you didn't like, but your 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 girlfriend liked it a lot. You 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 took autographs. You gave that autographs. Was, that was the second or th that was the third one. The third one because that was the one that I went to by myself. And my brother, and went, you, my brother you went signed SeaWorld flyers. I signed a SeaWorld flyer. Yes. Yeah. Somebody recognized me when I got out of my car. And yeah. they were they were disappointed that Martin wasn't there. Yeah. But but they the were cute they, cattle bear. I remember yes, that. Yes. Yeah. But they 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 accepted my my own signature. Yeah, I signed wow. like like two or three um scene world flyers that day. It was it was that still weird and uncomfortable. It was yeah. well, they recognized you at the at the bakery, bakery or something. Yeah, you're gonna do these those YouTube videos. Yeah, I'm the dude so, doing YouTube videos. Yeah. But we're also, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, again, being of English content, I don't know how much that picks up in Germany. So you might be more famous outside Germany than you are in. Um, that's, I mean, but I was on German radio with the magazine. I was on German television. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At Gamescom, we were at German television again. Mm -hmm. And at... Um, Adam Wolke with Skyline TV, the biggest live streamer in Germany. Yeah. So, and I, <clears throat> I wish, I wish that the media coverage would be more international. Yeah. But nice. right now it's but... only very focused on my person in Germany. Yeah. And this is why I'm happy we got um, 
the floppy fever interview yeah um for the book they published which was actually um international that that was amazing yeah i got that sitting sitting here somewhere because because we're in it i no problem i can put a picture on it yeah yeah Awesome. It's on. I've got. It's, it's on my Instagram too. You can see if you want. Anyway, to. but you said anyway. before the recording we should not talk too much about yeah. ourselves. So. Well, I mean that's a different story because we're talking about ourselves in relation to a guest. You see. Um, okay. Anyway. Anyway. anyway other news, yes. Other, other news. news. Other news. There is um, an update to, um, um, where is it? Um, Clock Signal, which is a game. Apparently, a game-changing multi-platform emulator, which has been updated. Um, this thing up. This thing um, um, emulates the C64, or I'm sorry, that's a lie. Yes, yeah, that's a lie. Yes, no, lie. Uh, it's, it's a lie. Um, it it emulates the VIC-20. It oper- emulates the Mac 512 um, and Mac Plus, the Sega Master System, the ZX80 and 81 and Spectrum, uh, the Acorn Electron, Amstrad CPC. Apple II, 2 Plus, and 2E, Atari 2600, ColecoVision. Um, and it says, okay, so it says the Commodore VIC-20 and Enterprise 64-128. I don't know if that's a separate thing. It's on the same line. But... I don't know. But, uh, you know, it, it emulates a lot of stuff. It has a lot of versatility. It's... Um, it, it it runs on uh, Mac OS, Linux, um, Windows. I, I actually I don't know if it runs on Windows. Um, I see um, various operating systems. Mac OS, it's native Cocoa and Metal, desktop Linux use Snap, Linux BSD and other Unix-based systems uses OpenGL. I don't see anything about Windows. But, but OpenGL is usually Windows based. It's Mac as well. I mean, that's. Um, but they're talking about it in re- reference to Linux. Mm. Either way, either way, it's um, that has been updated to um, version. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and the most late re- the the most recent release um, has enhanced support for MSX two. Precision correcting the 6502s um, working, aligning them with the way that a regular 64, uh, 6502 works. Um, it is it's fixing the the some uh, some some um, emulation with the the 65816, which is like the 16-bit beefed-up version of the 6502. Um, and you know just stuff like that uh there's a github tape a page where you can check it out we will put it right there ish um yeah you can check that out um, do you have more news yeah i do have more news there's also an update to icy term icy term 065 which is a bbs terminal um because bbs's are still a thing as q-link running behind me shows um and icy term um, has a lot of features such as good file transfers 
good ANSI features. I love ANSI artwork. Um, I always wanted to do ANSI art, but I was I I was kind of like in the the Petsky art thing, and it didn't translate well over. Doesn't matter. Um, and it's available for Linux, Mac OS, and Windows this time. Um, and users, you can connect to BBSs using Telnet, SSH, WebSockets, and raw connections. It supports <laughs> emulation for ANSI BBSs, Avatar, Petsky, Atasky, which is Atari, and ViewData. Awesome. Support for X, Y, and Z modem and variants. So, yeah, it's it's looks pretty cool i'm actually going to download it when we finish here because it i'm looking i i would like the the one term i have on the mac is not a great terminal for c64 anyway you know it's um um i can't even think of what it's called that was really loud creek but i'll let it go um yeah i've got i have a terminal a pet terminal up here cg term and it's not the great ter- greatest of terminals on on Mac OS, so I'm hoping this one might be, might be better. It's one of the um, most used ones, if I'm not yes, mistaken. Yeah, uh, right, right, it is. But but it's a port of the Windows version and the Windows version. I know. Yeah. I know. Um, but I'm gonna give this one a shot, and uh, hopefully that's even better. Okay. What uh, else? Also, also. Um, my last bit is released um, a few days ago was Gianna Power Edition 2023 which is which uh, it's the Gianna sisters with 16 new levels a my load favorite, of trainers my favorite jump and, and, and a load of trainers and it was released by the group who cares and i agree <laughs> So we'll have a link to that where you can download Gianna Power Edition 2023 from Who Cares. Awesome. Awesome. And, uh, yeah. The only well, other thing we I do, got We do is, care enough for the new section. Yeah. The only other thing I got is that there's uh, Kixki, which is a Petski version of Kix, QIX, which was a 1981 game uh, arcade where you got to draw lines that close off parts of a rectangle. You know, it's really vintage. You know, it's one of those classics. Classic dealies. And you're uh, talking about the basic version? Um, I guess it's yeah, yeah, it's it's basic. Um, yeah. But there is also a a uh, version that's compiled with the Blitz compiler, which is probably I, I when I was a basic programmer, which I guess mm-hmm. I still am because you know yeah you don't really stop. Blitz was the best compiler that you could get. I know. So you mean you mean Quicks? On basic kicks. Two. Yeah. By Roman Werner. We, we interviewed him yeah. already for the yeah. historical interview section. Right, right. But... He is a former um, employee of uh, Starbite. Yes. Uh-huh. The same company um, that actually worked for, um, um, now I forgot his name, Oliver Lindau. Yeah, the only thing I don't like about this is that is that I'm looking at a screenshot from it, and it's just the default Commodore colors, and I feel like they could have, you know, they could have spiced it up a bit. Yes, but he he wanted to do it because it has the basic two look and Petsky, and um, 
the default color scheme is uh, light blue on dark blue, and he wanted to keep right. it that way. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. So maybe, I guess maybe it's intentional. Enterprising individual, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll even break out all my old basic skills and throw some throw some pizzazz in that and re-release mm. it. I don't know if we can do that. I'm sure we can. I, actually, I don't know. It's on the itch. scene. I, the scene world edition. Yeah, it's on itch.io, so it's probably uh, maybe it's um, copyrighted. I don't know if they could if I can mess with that. But I but mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. I can I can ask I can ask Roman. I mean, it's it would just be. I mean, there's really no point to it, but you know, I just I, what always bothered me with basic games was when they didn't even bother to change the background color. People told me 23 years ago, Scene World was no point of doing. Yeah, well, no, no, no. I'm just saying, you know, it it's always bothered me when there was like a basic program and it didn't even bother to change the background colors. It's like, I know, I know. come on, man, like, like it's 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 two commands, mm. you know, like like. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. that's my news for today. What you got, my man? Um. Well, Cyberpunk 2077 Phantom Liberty DLC. Oh, okay. Will be out on the 26th of September with a female uh, main character. Okay. It's pretty neat. I played it at Gamescom. On right, uh, the right. Xbox booth, so not bad. Also, our yeah, Dennis Kalimani remute will release his new DOS PC album right. called Drive into the Future. Okay. Yeah, I you know I uh, I played a bit of of um, of that. That game, um, um, and I already forgot. Cyberpunk twenty. Cyberpunk twenty. Yeah, yeah. I think I sent you a video of me playing it. No, um, you didn't. But oh, no. oh, yeah, because I was playing it on on my Mac uh, via with the with the eGPU in, mm. in Windows. But mm. um, but yeah, it's it seemed like a good game. Um, um, but yeah, I didn't get too far into it because I just don't have time to play games. You are too much busy for. Sleep. I want. I really. That's. I really want to pl- sit down and be a gamer. Like I. I really want to be a gamer, and I just cannot do it. I cannot yeah. commit to it. You know. Well, like, this is just, like me. I'm single. No, no other responsibilities next to myself. Yeah. Uh, I can play next to work and scene world, but mostly I do scene world, not playing. Right. Right. Anyway, right, yeah, I wish, like I said, you know, like I would love to be a gamer and and have that kind of, you know, have that that ability to sit down and like really get into something and whatnot. And it's just a matter of like, I just the time just doesn't exist for me. And it's like it's mm-hmm. a shame because I really want to be, you know, like like I, I want to play games and do that stuff. And it's just like like I I. No Man's Sky is my my you know hour a night game. It's my it's 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 what I do to make myself tired so I can go to sleep. Is <laughs> is run a couple of missions on No Man's Sky and then and then I'm I fall asleep, and and Laura kicks me because because I'm I'm doing it in bed, and I'm falling asleep. <laughs> but that's that's uh. It's a nice game. 
Yeah. It is a good game. Did you hear that Starfield? Um, someone uh, figured out that uh, actually um, it's a, you, you, you can actually it's closer to No Man's Sky than they thought. Like someone figured out a way. I guess if you're on a planet and you're exploring, there's like a wall at a certain point. Like you can't get past that because it doesn't it's not dynamically generated. Like, I, I, you know, No Man's Sky, you could fly through the atmosphere, just keep going on a planet till you go, till you go, because it's all procedurally generated. This isn't. So if you walk enough far enough in one direction, you're going to hit a wall. And then there's like, you know, a load screen or whatever, and then you go into the next sector or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but somebody figured out that if if you change the, the any file... Like you could turn off those walls, and it, you you can actually just walk across the planet. Wow! I think it ca- sent me a link crashes. to that. Send yeah. me a link to that. I think it can cause crashes, but but it definitely like you can do it. Awesome. Anyway, other news. Other news. Um, yes. Nintendo released only for subscribers of their online service. Yeah. F zero ninety nine. That means 99 people can play online against cool. each other. Very nice. And it was a very big surprise because Nintendo didn't do anything with um, F-Zero in years. Right. And now for them to release and this game was a surprise. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Have a, have a drink. Yeah. swig of your, <laughs> of your hard, hard beverage. My hard um, Coke and Fanta. Fanta, Fanta and um, Coke mix mixture. This is my regular, just not not Fanta and Coke. I, you can get Fanta here, but I just don't. Although he was telling me that this is orange Fanta and Coke, which I've never, as a U.S. guy, that never would have occurred to me. Yeah, cherry, that, cherry Coke a mix, is one thing, It's a but, European thing. In yeah. Germany, it's around in 70 years. Now now I'm thinking, like, orange liqueur and Coke might actually be good. I've got orange liqueur upstairs. I've never thought of mixing it with Coke. Orange Fanta and Coke, 50-50. No, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like I said, I've got, like, an orange liqueur. You know, like an alcohol. Oh and, no, you know, it's not alcohol. It's... I know, I know, but I'm thinking like if orange and coke go together with the Fanta, then maybe the orange and the liqueur will go with cola. Never mm. occurred to me to mix, try mixing them. <laughs> that might be something new. That might be, we may have just invented a new drink. Oh gosh. We'll call it anyway, the, the world. Before the we go into much alcoholics, um, other news. Well, as I said, um, <clears throat> yeah, last news. Mm-hmm. The German Männerquatsch podcast has released his episode 153. The who podcast? Say that again, you, you, you kind of burbled. Well, it's not a burble. It's really the name. It's called Männerquatsch podcast. Männerquatsch. Manicwatch, okay. Yeah, German podcast. Um, okay, just start just start that part all over again because the way you said it was like the German match podcast, it was like just kind of like one big long thing. And I was like, what? Like I couldn't, it was like Mecca magic, what, huh? 
I thought I thought I used it intentionally. <clears throat> oh, oh, oh. Anyway. So the German Männerquatsch podcast in episode yep. 153 oh, released okay. released interviews with the Vetro area booth people. Nice. Vendors, nice. yeah. Yeah. Including me from Scene World and you? Eva Ramona Roleda from A Twisted Tale. Who is also who, at our booth. Exactly. Who was at the side of our booth. And um, yeah. Awesome. Beautiful. If you know German, that's probably interesting. I will. I'll, I'll listen to it. Uh, even though I don't understand, I can I can make out some. I've I've talked to you enough to know some German to be able. I can't talk it, but I can I can understand some of it. I highly doubt this, but never mind. No, no, no. I'm 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 pretty good with that. Um, I can, yeah, I, well, I, I can't say what you're saying, but I can tell what you're talking about. Okay. Anyway, yes. that would be all my news. That's all I got. So you got me. You got to send me. A whole list I've, of things. I've, they're right here. They're on my screen. They're ready to go. I, I already put them together because I came prepared today. Me? Oh, nice, nice. <laughs> Don't forget to include this hint. What? About Starfield. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh-huh. Whatever and, uh, that is, a video yeah. or whatever. Yeah, and I got the, the picture of, of me and, and, um, um, me and um, the dude... Um, Mitchell and what other picture did you want? Just that. No, there was a second picture. Well, of the book, but I have the I book. Can... Got it. Yes. Oh, well, I can just take a picture of the book from the homepage. Yeah, no, but I've got a, I've got I've got actual pictures of us with with me holding the book with mm. in where I am. So nice, nice. So I'll, anyway, I'll so let's move to USA to Jeff Scarp. Scarf, yes. And listen to the stories. Yeah, yeah. And don't cool forget to, to pledge for the crowdfunding. Yes. So the movie can actually get released. Yes, he has. It's not a Kickstarter. It's a different thing, but you should totally do it. And I think yeah. during the interview, I think Jurg and I both pledged. I pledged the... for the Blu-ray. Yeah, yeah. I, did, I didn't 75, go that high, yeah. 75 I didn't dollars. do that high, but, but, but and I don't think I said I did it during it but i did uh, i said so, i registered for seat and you, park yeah you mentioned which it. which is actually um which is actually the crowdfunding platform yeah 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 especially for movies and right film right. creators right i've never heard of seat and park before hmm. well did you hear did you hear from them before no i did not yeah. Well, at the time of release, there will be 12 days left. Yeah. So make sure to not miss it. Right. Boom, boom. Okay. Yeah. Today, we have another guest as always. And today it's Jeff Scarp from I Adore My64, the new upcoming documentary about... Well, the Commodore 64. Yeah. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Thank you. Appreciate being on. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. It's, and it's rare that we get an NTSC 
um, view the 64 on here. That's Cause right. Because most of it, you know, I'm, I'm usually the, the NTSC guy. Oh, wow. Okay, so, represent NTSC. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, as I told you in the emails before, when, when I started with World 23 years ago, people in Europe thought America's dead. There's nothing regarding Commodore 64 anymore. Um, well, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's as uh, active as uh, as the scene in other places in the world. But you know, yeah, in the last ten years, it's very, very much kicked up. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, especially with the internet and 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 I mean, back then, you know, we're talking early two thousands when mm-hmm. you know there wasn't really too much communication and you couldn't just you know now everything is NTSC fixed, even if it's you got to kind of jump through hoops to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Right, right. And we will be talking today about your uh, crowdfunding campaign regarding that movie. Awesome. Yeah. Which is amazing because um, I remember emailing with you and you were a bit on the fence about including Europe. And yeah. I'm glad to hear that finally you, you made the decision. If there is enough funding, you might include Europe as well. Yeah, so. definitely. I think a lot of what we'll be able to do, of course, will be dependent on funding. You know, I I don't know of any independent film or even any major blockbuster film that isn't totally dependent on money and time. So, yeah, yeah we'd love to do as much as we reasonably can with the resources that we have. So, yeah, I mean, definitely I recognize that the C64 is a global phenomenon, not just something restricted to the U.S. But yeah, we, we definitely want to be smart about it and not commit to something that like it's not realistic to ever complete and not like promise the world and then like have to cut way back because of the funding that we may or may not receive. So yeah, we're trying to set expectations correctly and, you know, so... There's a lot of a lot of campaigns out there sometimes for, you know, whether it's films or other things where, you know, um, people get into promising too much and then end up disappointing and frustrating people. So we're just trying to walk that line really carefully. Right. I mean, how did that start? How did you get involved in the Commodore 64 and then oh. decide to make a movie about it? <laughs> well, my personal history goes back to like when I was 10 years old. Um, you know, uh, we were actually, it's kind of funny. We were coming home from vacation, uh, and actually from where I live now in Florida, but at the time I lived in Michigan, grew up in Michigan and we came back and there was, there had been a huge snowstorm and our entire house was flooded. Pipes had burst and Ooh. my parents had actually hidden a Commodore Vic 20 in the basement. And un- unfortunately it got ruined because of that flood. But fortunately with the insurance money, they decided, oh, well, let's upgrade. Let's like buy the next best thing that just came out, the Commodore 64. And it's no disrespect to the VIC-20 or people, <laughs> people who love the VIC-20. The VIC-20 is great, but uh, I'm a little happier that I ended up with the 64. And um, yeah, I mean, like a lot of people um, back then, a lot of kids my age, I, got, I definitely got right into um, playing games on it. I think the first, well, I know for a fact, the first cartridge I had was uh, Grid Runner by Jeff Minter and just played that like crazy. And for the first couple of years, only ever had cartridges. And um, 
cassette drive. So, you know, what I could oh what I could play was kind of limited. Yeah, it's kind of unusual, I think. For, yeah, yeah, that's for the that's, U.S. Yeah, that's that is a lot of what 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 year are we talking about? Because oh, this would have been like eighty three. Okay, I think. okay, because I it, came it, into it in eighty six. Okay, with with okay. this exact machine behind me. Oh wow, okay, um, all right. Yeah, and and yeah, I had the I got the disc drive, and and the same thing was the the only game I had for the longest time was the Frogger cartridge. <laughs> there you go. Well, no loading, no load wait time. Yeah, I guess that's yeah. It. Yeah, and the rest of it was spent with, you know, my grandfather and I trying to type in the programs in the manual and failing every single time. Yup, I I did stuff like that. I got Run Magazine, which, you know, I think was popular in the States, but but not overseas, and typed in a lot of listings, tried to, you know, delve into basic, and Mm -hmm. I think even once in seventh grade, you know, I was like, you know, I could kind of sense that, like, okay, Whoever is creating these games, they're not they're not doing it in basic. Like right. it's way too slow, mm-hmm. you know. But again, there's no internet. There's no way to really find right. out and, you know, uh, find the secret sauce to doing it. And I I did manage to figure out that it had something to do with assembly language and went to the library and got some books out, some like, you know, probably college level books on assembly language and it was just like totally discouraged. I couldn't figure it out, couldn't understand it. You know, it was way too high level for me and kind of gave up on that on that front. But did have a lot of fun. My actually my school, they ended up buying like 20 Commodores for like a com- computer lab. Really? Yeah. Wow. It's kind of unusual for it is. It is. For a school. And it was a small it was a small school. And um, you know, I could wow all my friends with what I knew about basic. But yeah, never yeah. got never never became a coder. N- not really that smart. <laughs> oh, see, see, I got into I got into programming in BASIC. I did a yeah. couple of things. You know, uh, Lodestar was big here in the U.S. too. Got mm-hmm. my 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 publishing contracts from there over there. Oh, wow. um, uh, but um, yeah, we had Apple II's at school, and you know, you had to do programming on that. And I remember bringing my C sixty four in and like like having an argument with the teacher over like which was better. Of course. You know what's really funny is like I've had some of these conversations and you know it's interesting how you know whether you're from Europe or or different regions of the states like what mm-hmm. what your experience was growing up and what computers you saw and honestly um all growing up even on into high school I never saw an Apple II. I saw one really? one time. Yeah, one time in in second grade. Like, I remember, like, the teacher's son, like, brought it in, and it was at the back of the room, and we never did anything. Wow. We never did anything with it, so I never used it. And it wasn't until, like, later on, when I, I guess I would have been, like, maybe fifth grade, mm-hmm. that um, then my school got, I got a Commodore 64 at home, and then my school got a bank of them. And, um, yeah, and the only other home computers I saw growing up of that era, you know, the early 80s and stuff, I had a neighbor with a um, TI ninety nine four A, and I had another neighbor with the Coco Coco. Um, I think the Coco two, right? Um, Coco, sorry, Coco color computer, and that was it. And um, you know, but a lot of people will tell me, "Oh yeah, I, I grew up with an Apple II, or I saw an Apple II, or Atari four hundred and eight hundred. I never once saw an Atari four hundred or eight hundred anywhere, not in a yeah. store, not I, anywhere. I, I'm 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 from New Jersey." And okay. and and it was a lot of the same. I never saw 
I had a C64. Nobody else knew what that even was. Really? Everything okay. was Apple IIs, and wow. um, one friend had a had a uh, a Coleco Atom. Which oh, was the yeah, worst okay. machine ever made. Yeah, uh, now that you say that, I did have one buddy at school who I went over to his house one time, and I'm like, what is that? Yeah, yeah, it was the weirdest <laughs> thing, weirdest thing. And and I and I, I ended up with an uh, an Atari 800 XL that, oh, okay. that that I found at a garage sale for like ten bucks. Oh, but wow. I never I, I never used it because I didn't have anything to plug into. Oh, just had the okay. itself, you know. Yeah. Um. But like like Amiga and stuff like that, I never saw. I never actually touched an Amiga until I got this like like ten years ago. Okay. Well. Yeah, I never saw. Well, I saw an Amiga in high school, but it was only mm-hmm. because. The Amiga, um, there was like, I mean, the short explanation would be they had like a little video production department that was sort of connected to the school I was going to, and they got a toaster set up. So I feel like in the States during that era, if you saw yeah. an Amiga at all, it was a big box Amiga, yep. and it was running a video, yes. <laughs> a video toaster. And then when yep. I went to college and I became, you know, got into filmmaking, became a communications major. They had a studio. Their studio was all run on the video toaster because that was that was the heyday of, of the video toaster. Right. And so I spent time on an Amiga 2000, and then at my first job, it was an Amiga 2000 running the video toaster. And, um, yeah, but I never, I never saw, well, I'm sorry, one time in college, I saw a guy who, who went to my school and he had a 1200, Amiga 1200, and he was like showing it to me and stuff. And I'm like, wow, this is crazy. I didn't even know. Like the only thing I knew about Amiga at the time was was the 2000. Right. And I think maybe the 2500 and then later on the 3000 and the 4000. And um, my the college I went to used the 3000 to run some like um, video stuff. We had conferences that we would do and they would do three camera switch to that. So like, I mean, well, Commodore in general, it's like, it just kept being a part of my life. <laughs> like, yeah, started out yeah, with really. 64 and then went to college and used Amigas like just because they were there and that's what I was learning on. And then at my first job, um, the first editing, you know, video editing and production job that I had, it was all based on an Amiga. Even um, the edit controller, you know, typically, You'd have an edit controller that you, because it was all tape based editing, you could control mm-hmm. the decks and and do your edits. Well, even that was controlled by the Amiga with a special piece of software called Amulink. And I don't know, it's probably long forgotten, but yeah, I I've mean, heard of it. Yeah, yeah, it's it just kept being a part of my life for quite a long time. And after that, I kind of like, you know, the PC era kind of took over for me. I used PCs for you know for a long time up until about like oh 2018 or 17 somewhere in there and um with the birth of my second daughter I was I was just up late at night you know taking care of her and and stuff like that and was poking around on YouTube and found a video um by Dan Wood from Retro Hour Podcasts and he was uh, he was talking about, oh, you can connect your Commodore 64 to the internet today through Wi-Fi. And I'm like, what? We're doing it right now. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I know there's Quantum Link back there. Yeah. And uh, I was like, no way. And that sort of kicked off my, my the reignited my interest in it, to be totally honest. Like, 
Um, I had I got a C64C later. I started out the first Commodore I had was a Breadbin, and then that blew up. I think the Vic Two probably blew up, and I ended up getting a C64C just like the one behind you, and it had you know it had GS packaged in, and yep. that was that was crazy and amazing. I was like, I can't believe 64 can do this, and um, used that all the way up until college. Um, so yeah, um. I still have that one today. So I got that from my parents and was sort of messing with it. And like, I thought, Oh, you know what? I'd really like to get a bread bin because that's what I had originally. I'm like, I'll just, I'll just find one on eBay and you know, well, yeah. <laughs> now over my left shoulder, there's like 30 of them and mm-hmm. different Commodore machines. I never had before, like the 1200 and a 500 mega 500 mega 1200. And even a pet, like I eventually got a pet and which is, <laughs> It's, it's amazing Not when you realize past. you've grown up and you can have these things. It's like, right. oh, I'm a grown up. I can actually buy things that I yeah. didn't have when I was. Yeah, a you kid. don't have to um, fight yeah. with your parents anymore. That's right. And uh, yeah, you know, I just like a lot of people. I wanted to experience like all the things I'd missed out on. So hmm. I remember seeing a Commodore 16 when I was growing up and just like not understanding what it was. <laughs> Yeah. And so I have a 16 and a plus four, a couple plus fours. I, I still and... don't understand what the plus four was. <laughs> well, it, it, I mean, I, I was doing an interview with um, Bill Hurt once, and he said that actually it was more successful in East of Europe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you know, the plus four kind of gets, and the 16, they kind of get a bad rap. And, um, you know, I think Bill, in particular, Bill Hurd, has taken a lot of unfair flack because he's so visible in the Commodore community <laughs> and kind of gotten criticized. Oh. Like, Why was that? Why did you do that? And it's like, well, you know, it's like all of us at our jobs, you know, it's like not everything is, is decided by me. There's people above right. me making decisions about, you know, the way things are going to go and how we're going to market things and sell things. So he also did the 128, which is probably one of the best machines ever made. Right. Yeah. That's the, the 128, that's another machine that I have like three of those. (laughs) Yeah. It's under the the tarp. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right there. And like, (laughs) I remember, um, you know, a few years after I had my 64, Actually, the, my pastor got one, and he was showing me, and I'm like, man, that is amazing. And then he's like, now watch this, and he types Go64, and my head exploded. I was like, wait a minute, what? Like, this is a Commodore 64, and it's a new computer? And actually, you know, it's even more than that. But that it's was all three my- computers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Even a CPM machine. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy uh, what it can do, and like, I have a lot of respect for Bill and the other people that worked worked on it because I mean look at what they got that single machine to do and made it so incredibly versatile you know yeah. but like a lot of things you know it comes down to marketing the best product doesn't always win you know if if that were the case then you know we'd be watching Betamax instead, right. of, yeah. instead of VHS so <laughs> you know I have respect for all of those guys who did that early engineering were you know, sometimes sort of the victim of Commodore's poor marketing decisions and business decisions. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it was 2018 or so when I started to get back in the scene, collecting my own machines and learning how to repair things and stuff like that, you know, just for fun and trying out new games and new hardware, you know, did eventually get a Wi-Fi modem. 
<laughs> I was shocked to see that there's still BBSs around, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, Quantum Link. And, like, even, I don't know if you guys would recall, um, but even Habitat, I guess. There's mm-hmm. some implementations of Habitat. I don't know how many people yep. out there would remember <laughs> You had that. an interview with the oh, two people, I am, actually. Yeah. I'm on Habitat as well, yep. Oh, awesome. So, like. See, I remember the when when I was when I actually used it in real life. It was it was Club Carib. It was the it was the the uh, New Year's version of Habitat. Oh man, that takes me back. Yeah. I think at the time I couldn't. I wasn't. Oh, I couldn't use it because of the long distance. Oh no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Calling to to get on it. Yeah, but, I got in uh, trouble for that too. <laughs> the only thing online that I was allowed to do was I had another buddy in the town next next uh, next to us. And we were Commodore pals, you know, we'd get together and, you know, a lot of what we did was play Infocom games together mm-hmm. and try to figure them out, you know, and stuff. But then um, he got a modem and I'm like, what is that? And his dad was kind of explaining what it was. And then I, I don't know how, but I was able to convince my parents to get me get me one. And we would wow. just connect, connect a terminal, like 300 baud, you know, connect his terminal, my terminal, we could type back and forth. And my yeah. sister walked in, she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm talking to Daniel. She's like, why didn't you just pick him up, pick up the phone and call him on the phone? <laughs> I'm like, that's no, no fun. Thinking, we were instant messaging, man. We were like, <laughs> yeah, ahead of the curve. Yeah, I, I, I figured out pretty early on that uh, that the uh, the modem said at 300. I had the 1200 baud one, but yeah. oh wow. But if you call it the TTY numbers, like the the you know for the hearing impaired, yeah, that any old terminal works. Oh, you can wow. do it from the C64. So I used to do that all the time. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. It was a, it was a lot of fun exploring the different things it could do. Like, um, I think at one point, I well, I know at one point I had a, like a, a really awful <laughs> voice re- recognition headset and you could play like blackjack with it and you could say, hit me, you know, and, and all this yeah. other stuff. And I'm trying to think mm-hmm. what other hardware I had. I wanted to get a hard drive. If I, you know, at first I didn't even understand what it was. Yeah. You know, but of course those were insanely expensive and probably and they, only people. And they would, still yeah. are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They've only gotten worse over yeah. time. Now it's impossible almost to find one. And if you do, they're they're insanely expensive. But yeah. but yeah, I think the other thing that really surprised me was you know, coming kind of started coming back to things in twenty eighteen was just discovering sort of the global community that had been knit together through the internet, you know, and people all over the world that were still developing hardware, developing software, you know, websites, groups, even like, even here in the States on like meetups, you know, like of people and not only, not always like commerce specific, but retro computer meetups, you know, like I've been to a couple just recently and like, I just can't, it's shocking that like, on some levels that people are just still so into the 64. And the other thing that I really appreciated is um, everybody is just like really community oriented and helpful. Like if you have a question, you know, you know, it's like, you don't want to be the noob and like, at least in my experience, everybody's been like really nice and like tries to sort of like pay it forward. Like, Oh, people help me. So I want to, it there used to be. It part. used to be a different. Yeah, it used to be when you yeah. were the new guy. Just like, like to, yeah, just you, to you, say it. yeah, you had to fight to get there. But now it's like you know, it's it's a lot more more friendly and 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 you know, everyone's kind of better uh, 
closer knit now because that's good. Yeah. 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 It sounds like maybe you guys kind of joined the scene or into the scene before I came along, but up to this yeah. point anyway, it's been yeah. a good experience. Mm. For, for me, it's actually April 1st, 1998. Mm. So actually I celebrated 25th year's that's anniversary. When you joined this the year. scene? That's when I joined the scene. Good wow. Lord. I was like 1992. <laughs> like I said, well, I started late. I started late. So for yeah. me, it's been 25 years. Yeah, no. I'm a newborn at the. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look at that. Took me like but three I'm, years I'm the youngest in this round, But yeah, I, I, you know, I started thinking about like, wow, how can I really contribute to this community? You know, I'm not a programmer. I'm definitely not a hardware designer. But you know, I've been a filmmaker for 25 years and had the opportunity to do a lot of really cool things and. You know, there are a lot of um, YouTube videos and even documentaries out there, but, um, you know, they sort of focus on Commodore as a company com right. and the major figures within it and the history. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm glad that those things exist and they're they're out there. And some of the people um, that, you know, are no longer with us, like like Jack, Jack Trammell, like, you know, they there, there was a documentary that featured an interview with him not too long before he passed away. And, you know his son Leonard's given interviews and documentaries and stuff like that. And I think that's really great. And that it's, it's awesome that that is preserved, but kind of what I saw as a gap was there's not really a whole lot about the Commodore community today. And I wondered like how many people would be interested or would be surprised to find that, wow, there's this huge, huge massive group of people around the world that are still into the 64, you know, that because that was my experience. I was like, oh, yeah, like, I, you know, I thought, oh, well, you know, there's there's probably some people still into it. And I was just blown over by by how many there are and like, you know, all the gatherings that go on around the world, you know, based around C64 stuff. And like, it's just crazy. And so I thought, well, maybe this is a way that I can, you know, again, pay it forward, give back to the community is like let's create a film about the community as it, about the 64 but also about the community as it exists today and and personalities and people who are collecting people who are preserving people who are developing new hardware and that's really what kicked it off and i th think that i spent you know from about 2018 up till up till now and ongoing you know getting to know the online community and people around the world and becoming a part of it and sort of hopefully earning the right to 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 do something like that you know not just showing up out of the blue and having no interest or no investment in the community and just saying well i'm gonna make a movie about this you know it's like well i've been around for for a while now and so yeah and sort of the first step i think in my own mind is like well you know we need a proof of concept because I think so many uh, films, it's like uh, th that go into a campaign, um, go into a campaign effort. They don't really have too much usually to show unless they're just raising funds for post-production. Then they might. But if it's like uh, they haven't even shot anything yet, there's not a lot to go on. So I'm like, I think in order for people to really get behind this, we have to have 
some amount of some amount of it shot so that they can really see this is what it's going to be like this is the approach this is kind of the the mode we're going to take so that was sort of the first effort and you know we we got four interviewees in and they were they're amazing and i i was shocked that some of them said yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know, I, mean, I mean i mean i had to i had a look at the crowdfunding i mean um, Anthony Becker, we had in the podcast already. Yep. Live oh, Bloomquist, awesome. we even had in the Twitch live show yeah, where okay. he showed off his net racer. And yeah, Bo twice, Zimmerman is is known for um, for taking over Jiffy Dos and stuff. Um, yeah, so oh, he is really like... got some good figures here. Or David Murray, yeah, a bit guy. Bo Zimmerman, he 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 developed that uh, the Bo modem, that the, the Wi-Fi modem, and I and oh. I. I sold mine and he bought it on eBay and I was like, I can't charge you, man. And he's like, no, 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 it's cool. It's cool. I, I... Isn't that, that really says something though. There right there about the kind of person he is. Yeah. Like he's tremendously kind and he has dedicated. So he has contributed so much mm -hmm. and, but he would never like talk about that or Trump that right, like, if you ask right. him directly, you know, he'll he'll talk to you about it, but he's not going to run around and be like, well, I did this and I did that. And it's like, but he's done so much yes, that yes. May, we're may all I benefiting say one from. Thing? Yeah, may I sure. Say one thing? Unfortunately, you wrote him wrong a couple of times on the screenshot <laughs> and in the text. Yeah, Unfortunately, I'm sorry caught. to say. <laughs> sorry to say. No, that's all right. Because, yeah. because you wrote Zimmerman. With an it's e, a proof but of it's concept. Actually, it's a proof of concept. I got hammered on that an, right away. An A, an A. So. You're right, you're right. And that's why, you know, you should have independent people spell check your stuff. <laughs> but yeah, that got pointed out pretty much right away. So we'll definitely have to correct that. Um, but but yeah, he was he was just awesome. I think we sat with him for like two hours. And like he took us through his collection. And then he had, a, this is a part that doesn't appear in the preview but you know he runs a local users group and they all came in that day and they were all hanging out and you know talking and and showing each other um projects that they're designing and working on and it was really cool you know it's just sort of a microcosm of, of i'm sure what's happening around the world but he was great all all of them were really great leaf was awesome and he gave us a great interview at world of commodore and you know even david i thought you know, when I when I e emailed David Murray, I was like, 90% this is going to be a no. 90% yeah. <laughs> chance. And I would say, like, it probably wasn't even two hours later. He emailed me and was like, yeah, you know, like, I think that's great. I think this is a great effort. And I would, I'd like to, you know, be a part of that, uh, of doing that, you know. And I almost, I was like, I had to double check and make sure it wasn't fake. <laughs> but he was great, too. And he gave us a really in-depth interview, too. I think it was like, it was at least an hour and 40 minutes <clears throat> and you know he's a busy guy i don't know i don't know how he he even has time to sleep but <laughs> i mean i mean i was feeling a bit bad for you because you have been hit hard on facebook by europeans saying why are you only including americans in the preview and then aj saw that and he was telling me like why we are not asked and then i was like okay let, let me email like, him we're kind and of americans like i'm here there's right. a couple we got a couple americans right. here. oh yeah so, so you got a bit I mean, of backslash 
yeah at the beginning i mean that's the difficulty right is you there's no way you can cover it all like there's so much going on there's so many people that are involved and there's so many dimensions like um you know just the demo scene like you could do a whole documentary just about the demo scene no doubt in my mind. Copy, actually yeah yeah, yeah. there you go <laughs> and i mean or you could do a whole documentary about hardware development or just about yeah. software development or you know just so many dimensions to what's going on it's really really crazy so yeah i wish we could just do it all and, and cover it all and i you know i don't know if a documentary would be the right format for that like if someone wanted to have ongoing <laughs> tv series you know then uh maybe they could but you know there's like i was saying before there's always you know limiting factors human human resources limited time is limited money's limited but you know we want to do our best to sort of represent you know the community you know as best we can right <laughs> i mean i mean what people don't realize how much effort it was um 23 years ago to make a magazine that runs on NTC and Paul. I remember being on the phone with Lee Novak that did that did the um, the the Mr. Mouse system for Lodestar and asked mm. him, can we borrow your system and make a disk Mac out of it running on Europe as well? As I asked for permission from everybody. And for the first 10 issues, we even had no loading system that would oh. work on all drives because wow. Nobody was doing a loading system that would work on American um, uh, well, machines you know, and most, on the Europeans as well. Most disk mags so. of the time were using, you know, demo scene derived things mm. that were made specifically for that, that used the hardware tricks in the 1541 and whatnot. And so to get well, something mm -hmm. that's going to run for the 1581 and the 1541 and it'd be a fast load and all that stuff. Yeah. You know, it was a. Yeah. And then yeah. there came me and I said, I want to run it on every hardware you could think of. And I mean, it even runs on the DTV. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, so. Yeah. yeah. I have a couple of those. And that's another thing that I was like, I was totally unaware of that, you know, before 2018 that there, that such a thing existed. And, you know, um, yeah, it's just, it's amazing that, you know, Jerry and the other people involved were able to like reverse engineer that. That's just nuts. And what that thing can do, you know, yeah, inside of a joystick, yeah, <laughs> running yeah. on batteries, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's another, it's another old thing of like, you know, like I was saying, just hardware. You could you could do a whole documentary about. So like, yeah, there's a there's just a ton of ground to cover. But yeah, the whole NTSC PAL thing was like something I was totally unaware of, you know, because like yeah, again, once again, growing up, I actually my my closest buddy who had a Commodore 64 he was actually from Germany him and his family so I knew that it was popular over there but I didn't realize that um that that there was a difference between games written for the PAL system and games written for you know NTSC I probably didn't even know there were different standards at the time but you know I'd run into it every once in a while where I get like oh you know get some crack games from him and I'm like why don't these work you know, yeah. it's like they'd start up and then, eh, you know, freeze yeah. or whatever. And, you know, I'm like, ah, eh, well, you know, in my right. mind back then, I was like, must be a bad, 
bad copy. Yeah, you gave me a bad copy. <laughs> I, I still can't. All the music that, that I've listened to that was pal music that I, I've heard it as fast. It's it's fast, you know, on the yeah. GSE. And then I hear it in the actual speed it's supposed to be played at. No, it's wrong. <laughs> it's wrong. It's I supposed know, yeah. to be the speed I heard it at, you know? I yeah. once did an I once did an interview with Chris Crick, who worked as a composer for Epics, and oh. he told me that back then they didn't know about even Epics themselves didn't know about the yeah. details oh, of the um, you know the speed difference for the music and stuff. They yeah. just make sure that the games wouldn't crash, and right. then they were done. You know. Well, that's all I used to code down. So it works on both, and there aren't many major glitches. So that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just not something you know we experience anymore these days too much. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess there's regionalized console games in some in some instances, but yeah, you know the whole the fact that the computer is based on a <clears throat> you know be compatible with a certain video signal. But really it's still a thing. Decision. It's still a thing nowadays, and yeah. most people don't know that. For example, HDMI is still yeah. sixty or fifty hertz, and yeah, that is actually true. when the um, the C sixty four Mini was released. Bill Murray was one of the people that said, "I got my prototype from UK, and I couldn't. I I had to try oh. three monitors until I found one that could handle the pause signal because the difference between Europe and and and." America is here in Europe. All TVs in the '90s generally can handle the NTSC signal, mm. but American well, American TVs, even to this day, even the yeah. modern TFT LCD TVs, cannot handle the pause signal most of the time for whatever reason. Huh. Probably just um, cost being reduction cheap. or whatever. Yeah, just yeah. being cheap. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So. <laughs> How can we make this the cheapest? Of course, yeah. that was Commodore's approach too. <laughs> yes, well, yes, absolutely. You can't blame them; they're trying to make money. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's been quite a journey getting to this point with the film, and you know, it's been a lot of fun, but it's also been a ton of work. And like, I think that probably uh, promoting the film and the campaign has been as much work as actually. <laughs> shooting it and editing it and getting it getting a 10 minute preview together so that was something i kind of heard tangentially that that was true but i was like oh come on that seems like an exaggeration but really <laughs> it's not yeah then you get emails from jackasses like us being like hey yeah you want to be on the podcast you got a film yeah no, I mean, I, mean yeah. I understand people like people are gonna have opinions and that's that's no problem at all like there, and and that's not um, that's not something that I have a problem with at all. Like people have thoughts, people have ideas. And like yeah, so do I. And like let's get together and talk about them. I think you know what you whenever you do something like this, you have to prepare yourself for the fact that there are going to be some people that are just out there to try and poke the bear. I don't know if you guys oh, yeah. have ever seen. Um, you probably have the the movie uh, indie game, the movie. And uh, Phil Fish, who who developed Fez, he was talking about that. He was like, I just didn't, I wasn't prepared for this army of jerks out there who were just going to come yeah. after me yeah. and, like, drag me down and, like, try to you know, just insult me all the time. And, like, to be fair, I've only had a very small amount of that where people just come on with, with comments that are just, you know, on the video or, 
or, you know, emailing me or like, you know, this is a waste of time, you know, and the Commerce 64 is a relic and it's irrelevant. And it's like, well, I mean, I mean, I mean, have a good day. Yeah, (laughs) you are not the first one having this issue. I remember in 2016, we have been the only ones that that we're interviewing uh, um, 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 now. Now I forgot his name. Um, Darren Mailburn, who did the C64 Mini on Indiegogo as a crowdfunding campaign. And he was, as you know, the inventor, well, the the concept brain behind the yeah. DTV. And nobody wanted to talk to him back then in 2016. Everybody was like, this is going to be Vaporware. And it was so important for him to do this podcast interview that actually we yeah. made this over the phone while he was on holidays on Spain. Wow. From his hotel room. <laughs> so. Wow. Um, just to understand the uh, retro community can be very nasty at times. Yeah. But it comes to a new project. At times. Yeah. There are those people everywhere. And like, yeah, some of the more modern, uh, modernized versions of the 64 are, are, you know, emulators and stuff. Like there are just people who are haters on anything like that. Like they think original hardware is, is the only thing and anything that's not original hardware. It's just bad, you know. Even, I mean, like the C sixty four and the C and the C sixty four Mini. I feel like have gotten a lot of just flack. It's like, what you know, not everybody wants to invest the sort of time and effort into like getting a original machine, figuring out how to hook it up to a display. It's like, you know, they got kids, they got family, they got a job. They just kind of want to relive some of their you know fond memories of it and so like for them it's like yeah a mini or a, or a c64 maxi that's that's a great answer for them and that's okay but there are some people who are just like that's not a 64 blah, you know yeah. and i've just... always looked at it as in that it, 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 it even if they're just getting it to play some games or or stick an sd card in there with some new yeah. stuff in there still it's expanding a user base for a compatible isk machine yeah yeah, agree a hundred percent. And like that's how that's how I feel about Vice. Like for some mm-hmm. people, you know, that's the level of commitment that they want, you know, and, and that they, that they can they they can handle. Like, oh, get the software, and I can play some of the old <sighs> stuff that I used to play back in the day. And so yeah, and you know, there's for anything any new thing you want to name, there there are some detractors out there. I know people don't who don't like the Mega sixty five, and wow. you know. I'm still, I mean, I'm still waiting on my demo copy of the Mega Mega Mega, Mega 65 guys. I'm, I'm still waiting for my demo. <laughs> if you're listening, review. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, uh, we've seen some cool stuff. We've seen um, two original in the in the four interviews we did. We saw two um, Commodore 65s, like real Commodore 65s. But I've yet to see a Mega 65. And and um, actually, actually, Anthony Becker was like, I might get my before you come out but <laughs> it did didn't you, happen did so, you, but did i'd you, love to see one did you touch the c65 uh i was allowed to touch it i didn't okay, ask okay. to turn it on <laughs> yeah yeah I, I i i did too though i i was a little bit more uh covert <laughs> yeah this that's amazing uh yeah anthony becker had one and bo bo has one and yeah 
they like turn them on and I'm like, man, I'd be yeah. too afraid. I actually have, this is, this is the, you know, the jewel of my collection, which is not that big, but I randomly bought a Vic 20 off somebody off Facebook. It's the cheapest Vic 20 I've ever purchased. It was like $30 and I got it and, um, I had, a. Um, uh, uh, penultimate cartridge from the future was eight bit, which is just a great, yes, great outfit. Awesome. I think they're awesome. Um, and I put that in there and fired it up and it did, ran a diagnostic, you know, and it came back that the kernel ROM was like unknown. And I'm like, Oh, that's, that's weird. I wonder if that's unusual. And, you know, I posted on a group and like Bo answered <laughs> right away. <laughs> He's like, that's an undocumented ROM. <laughs> We need to dump that. And then the serial number on it was 50,150. But I didn't know that, like, the serial numbers for the NTSC models started at 50,000. So, mm. like, this, to my yeah. knowledge, now not to, now someone's going to hear this and be like, no, I have one that's uh, one that's uh, earlier. But um, to my knowledge, like, looking up some of the preservation sites and stuff, this is the earliest, the oh. oldest. Vic 20 in the United States, and I just randomly awesome. ended up with it. <laughs> awesome. So, yeah, I don't like turning that one on. <laughs> yeah. Get yeah. scared, you know. I mean, <laughs> sometimes you just have to be lucky. I got um, an 82 silver label model from oh, wow. a Euro uh, European model from the C64, and I got it for 200 euros just because oh, wow. it was so dirty on the picture. And somebody drilled a hole in it, <laughs> and, ah! and 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 so nobody nobody bit on it because because it was in such um a, well in such a visual bad shape you know so so I won the auction. First thing I did is I replaced one of the labels, the power label, to cover the hole and cleaned it. And now I got a fully working wow. silver label. And wow. well, since since in since in Germany and Europe, it was released end of '82. So the silver label is even rarer in Europe oh, than yeah. in America. Okay. So the Paul version is even more rare to get. Wow. And the the the, 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 uh, the uh, flicker bug. The, exactly. The it still has sparkle. the sparkle flicker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 The sparkle yeah. bug. Yeah. The the yeah. Uh, the famous, famous sparkle. What, uh, what games does that affect? The sparkle bug. Does anybody not? Know? Not really. It's just really. just yeah. just really basic games only. Okay. And okay. Um, and, and they just well, fixed it by by making the sparkle the color of the screen. So. Exactly. Yes. Like the bug they, is still there. It just exactly feature. on on newer on newer Vic ship revisions. They just implement a routine that um magically changes the background color of okay. the sparkle yeah okay, um wow. it was actually um a bill hurt who made a presentation one of the vcs oh. meetings he explained how they not fix the bug by not causing a compatibility issue with basic programs and stuff yeah yeah, yeah they're they were pretty smart about that kind of stuff I feel like, yeah. but yeah. So what, what, what is your, for the two of you, what's your personal history with the 64? Did you grow up in the 64, grow up on something else? Well, for me, I got mine when I was eight 
1990 for my birthday from my grandfather. And before I was sitting on my grandfather's 64 when I was uh, five. So it was mm. like um, 87, 88. That was my first touch with computers. So yeah. for me, it is the entry point, even though I came late to the game because I'm a bit younger than you guys. But. <laughs> yeah, yeah. with me, they had, they had Apple IIs in school on the big carts that they'd bring oh, around the right. classrooms, you know, and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, you'd have to, you know, wait in line to use the Bank Street Raider for five seconds and then, <laughs> you know, have to pass it off to the next person. And and I always wanted a computer, but, but what I wanted was like the, you, you ever watch Inspector Gadget? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, you know, you, you know Penny's computer book. That's what I was when when I wanted okay. a computer. That's what I had no idea, I had no concept of what I wanted. It was just like a okay. computer book, and my grandparents uh, got me a C sixty four for Christmas in eighty six, and I was eight. Eighty six, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. So that was your uh, first computer at home. That was the first computer at home. Yeah, that was the first computer in the neighborhood, as far as I know. Nobody oh, wow. had it. Okay. Wow. Yeah, and then three years later, I got a PC. Uh, oh, three, okay. 386. So I totally skipped the Amiga. Wow. Yeah, I kept yeah. the 64 until I, I used that up through high school. And then uh, I wanted to upgrade to Amiga, and I saved up my money to get a 1200, and then Amiga, and then Commodore went out of business. Uh, so yeah. my upgrade came in the in the form of a 128. And I used okay. that until about 2001. Wow. Now, did you know other people who had Amigas in, in the States? Nope. Not a one? Okay. Like I said, I never I, I never even saw one in okay. person until I got this thing. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, I wonder what, what kind of drove your interest to get one. Was it just because it was a Commodore computer? Well, I got those. Before uh, advanced? Uh, you remember this, uh, the, 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 the 10X Computer Express catalogs that you'd get? in the mail for it was mm. like the, the everything book for the Commodore 64 and whatnot. Okay. No, I haven't seen that, but okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, well we used to get that. It would show all the software, but there was always a section <laughs> in the back for the Amiga. Yeah. And, and it looked, and, and it was, it, again, it was a Commodore computer and it, the specs that they had on there looked amazing. Mm. And I had no idea, like if I had gotten an Amiga, I would have been completely out of my depth because I wouldn't have known what to do with it. You know, because I was so play games. Well, I mean, you know, when I eventually did when my my one twenty eight was having problems, and I and I ended up getting a Mac, like mm. like I didn't know what I like. What do I do with this? I've got I've got uh -huh. a sixty four that I've got everything on for the last you know, however many years twenty years or so, and now I've got to somehow transition over to this new machine that isn't at all compatible with what I've been using, mm. even yeah. like. The, even my text files and stuff that I've saved, oh, like, yeah. like you know, everything's, you know, backwards because of the, the Petsky. Oh, right. Yeah. Now, of course, there's tools for all that stuff, yeah. but figuring yeah. that out back then was probably really bad. <laughs> yeah. 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 I ended up hooking up, you know, a, just a, a null modem between the two and just, oh. copy you know, just sending files from one to the other. And did that days. work pretty well? Not well. It took days and days and days because I had tons of disks and stuff, but. Wow. And I still haven't got, and that was, you know, like, again, 2000, 2001. I still got folders I haven't gone through. Okay. Wow. That's pretty incredible, though, that you were able to figure that out and, and get it transferred over. Yeah. Yeah. 
I have a few questions about the campaign, actually. Sure, I wonder why did you go with Seed and Spark and not Kickstarter? Oh, or yeah, that's in, a good question. Indiegogo. Yeah, that's a great question. I've never so, heard of Seed and Spark in my life. I don't know what, <laughs> what that is even. So I, to be totally honest, when, you know, I probably started working on the film in earnest in 2020, and, you know, it was sort of just a foregone conclusion at first for me, like, oh, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be Kickstarter because, you know, Kickstarter is the 800 pound gorilla. Mm -hmm. And um, the more I spent time, like sort of watching YouTube videos about other people trying to do things, trying to do films on, on this scale that I'm that I'm working in and um, just independent uh, YouTube filmmakers talking about different platforms. And the more I became convinced that Seed and Spark was probably a better pick for us. And there's really a couple reasons. The major ones being like Kickstarter's great. There's, I don't have anything against Kickstarter, but it's kind of like, you know, counter service. It's like, well, here's my project. And you, you fill out the, the you know, what you need to fill out. And they'll let you just launch it. They're not gonna. They're hmm. not gonna advise you really too much. They're not going to interact with you too much, you know. And there's just not a lot of guidance. And it's not specific to films. It can be, you know, anything. Um, and it's huge. You know, there's just an ocean of projects on there. And um, you know, as I approach this film, you know, my thinking was the the people that are really going to drive this are not like other people that are interested in independent film you know it's going to be the community if it's going to happen it's because the community is going to get behind it and does the community really care you know what the url <laughs> is of the fundraising platform right. so the the other benefit to seed and spark is that they sort of well first of all they have an 82% success rate, which is quite a bit higher than Kickstarter. I think Kickstarter yeah. is down around 30%. Yeah. And, and Seed and Spark also focuses specifically on films. They do allow some other types of projects in, but they, they are built sort of around funding independent films. And so that was an encouragement. But re what really drew me in probably was the fact that they had a process and you have to do the things within the process in order to get approved for launch. You can't just, you know, whip up, whip up, uh, whip through their forms and like, you know, and, and then just put it out there. It's like, you have to demonstrate that you have a plan. You have to demonstrate that you have a following and you have to demonstrate that you can realistically accomplish the goal. Like it's, you know, they've done an awful lot of studying of the metrics and like, you know, what makes a campaign succeed or fail. And they want you to meet certain benchmarks before you'll just go. And like, I can, I can understand how that might turn a lot of people off. Like, oh, I don't want, I don't want you telling me how to do, do this. Right. But I was kind of the opposite. I'm like, yeah, actually I would appreciate some insight on like how to do this because well, A, I wanted to succeed. And B, it's been a lot of work up to this point, and I don't want to um, cause it to crater just because of my own, you know, pride or, <laughs> or right. ignorance. Yeah. Yeah. So they were great um, along that line. And the other thing that was sort of, you know, a major factor is Kickstarter, you know, to my knowledge, it's all or nothing. You know, you set a goal, and if mm -hmm. you're not at 100% of that goal, that's it. And um, 
uh, Seed and Spark has a policy that like if you reach eighty percent of your goal, you're allowed. You're allowed. You're you're funded. You're given those funds. And you know, so I mean, to be honest, that was a draw too. You know that like okay, well, you know. They really want you to succeed. They want to help you and come alongside you, not just be, you know, a platform for you to kick out a project that maybe nobody uh, no, it, that doesn't get funded. They're invested in you succeeding. So, yeah, I looked at a couple different platforms, but pretty quickly narrowed it down to them. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. I mean, I, I always I always ask our guests with crowdfunding campaigns, do you have a backup plan? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, the backup plan is probably 80 percent. <laughs> But after uh, after the back, the backup plan after 80 percent is probably like, well, what can I you know, if, it, if it's a complete fail, like what can we do with what we have? You know, um, I mean, just. It's it's just important because we had some people on here in the show that yeah. had to that had to try like two or three times to be honest. Yeah. And we and we had some people in on this show that gave up after the first failure. And I'm yeah. like, man, you did so much pre-production, you you did pre-orders and and all that stuff. Yeah. And you still decide to not give it a second go. Yeah. And I've always found this so um um sad to be yeah. honest because yeah i mean why don't you try the second time why not yeah. trying as you say reaching more people the second time you know yeah yeah, yeah i think definitely <laughs> it's like we've kind of come too far to just discard the entire thing because you know i up to this point it's been all my own personal <laughs> You know, it's been a personal passion project and personally funded. But I got right. to a point where I'm like, well, this is what I could do up to this point under my own steam. And now I need the community to either believe in it or not. But, um, <laughs> you know, hopefully they will. And they can see, you know, the quality of it and the direction of it. And hopefully they'll get behind it. But, yeah, it would be tough. I think if we were not funded, I would want to try to find a way to at least develop out the stuff that we have and, you know, in whatever form that could reasonably take. And, you know, it's hard to know where that would go. Like, you know, one of the things I was really shocked about and really encouraged by, but, you know, was when we put the 10 minute preview out there, you know, I was thinking, well, if this gets like 5,000 views in the first month, I'll be, I'll be happy. And like, we'll, we'll keep going. You know, and like pretty quickly, like I think in the first two days, it got 5,000 views and then it just kept going up and up and up And it. And, you know, in the first month, it reached 69,000 views. I was shocked. So, um, you know, I do think there there is a lot of interest out there. I think the trick is getting people to cross over from man, that's really cool to like, okay, well, I'm going to you know, actually put, put some of my hard earned cash behind it and try to make it happen. And unfortunately, like you were saying, there, there are a lot of examples of, you know, either projects that don't get funded and then nothing, nothing happens and they're just completely abandoned and slash or projects that do get, this is a sad reality projects that do get funded and then they don't really live up to their advertising or they don't they just 
you know, blow through their timeline, mm-hmm. you know, their, their three, four, sometimes even longer years delivering outside of their promised timeline. And so I think that, again, goes back to I don't want to overpromise and underdeliver. I want to be careful. I want to respect people and their their commitment and, in you know, sort of be a, I don't know, man of my word, I guess, for lack of a better colloquialism. So, yeah, I mean, right now I would say I'm just <laughs> I'm focused every day on, like, how can I get word about the campaign out there more so that we – we do succeed, and then it's not a question. <laughs> right, you're right. So that's the, that's plan A, and plan B is like, you know, drop back and punt and see what can we do, you know, and maybe you know if that happened, and maybe if we did develop the four interviews out that we have, and put them out there for people to see, then you know, like you said, maybe there would be a second round where it's like, oh, now people have really, I you know, I was trying to circumvent that in the beginning by by developing a 10 minute preview so people could really see, oh, this is, you know, A, going to be quality and B, going to interview people that are well known and, and, uh, you know, big part of the community. But, you know, it could end up that that won't be enough and that people will want to see more before, you know, uh, they'll, they'll really, they'll really get behind it. But I hope not. <laughs> right. Yeah. But yeah. I mean- it's a process. I mean, I I just signed up during the interview here, and All I right. see one one disadvantage already for Europeans. Many of us don't have Apple Pay or credit cards. Okay, no, that credit is cards? what I because they only allow Google Pay, Apple Pay, and credit cards. No, no, um, no PayPal, no bank account, nothing. Ah, that might be no a bit crypto. difficult. <laughs> that might be a, di- a bit difficult um, for Europeans. Just so Europeans saying. don't carry credit cards. Most don't. The problem. Oh, really? The problem. The problem is that um, the requirements to have a free credit card are very high. Oh, so okay. you need you need to work at least two years at um, at the same employer. It has oh. to be an unlimited work contract, and so you have like to earn a certain amount of income each month so you are allowed to have a free credit card and if you aren't allowed to have a free credit card the german banks they are killing you with yearly fees just to get Mm. a credit card what about like a a debit card or something that kind of operates the same way yeah well that's the thing the debit card the master debit card has just been introduced in july this year Okay. Because because in Germany and Europe in general we shut down the Maestro debit card system, but still to this day not all banks here in Germany have issued the master debit cards. So it's still an issue. Just wanted to explain. I mean, yeah, no, that's great. That's a great piece of education for me. I would have no idea about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, personally, when 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 I st- when, when I was working two years at my current employer, the first thing I got is like a free credit card because I was like, yay, now, now I'm allowed to, to get a free credit card. But before, before 2014, I wasn't allowed to get one. Wow. Because I was only working at employers that would make 
um, a time limited working contract. So like uh, a year, uh, and okay. then they would then they would reconsider hiring you or just let you go. You know. Oh, okay. That's the yeah, thing. Sort of con contractual basis then. Exact. Exactly. Wow. So um, that is why. I mean, I mean nowadays I could use Apple Pay because I have an iPhone. Yeah, so. you can use Apple Pay. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I I think that I've had several intersections with with issues like that. Probably, you know, again, you know, I, I, it's a learning process for me. And, you know, I wanted to create some incentives for um, the funding campaign. And like one of the very first things I did was like, oh, we're going to give away, you know, an original 64 that's, you know, all restored and repaired and ready to go. And like, because I just have no idea how international shipping works and, and VAT and import fees and stuff like that. I'm like, well, I'm going to limit it to North America. And it's an NTS machine, NTSC machine. So people overseas probably don't want it. Man, was I wrong? <laughs> <laughs> I had yeah, a couple of angry messages from people about why can't people, why can't we bid on that? Or no, not bid on it. I'm, why can't we uh, be a part of it? And I'm like, oh man, I'm so sorry. You know, won't make that mistake again. And, you know, right now we're auctioning off an Evo board and, just this goes to show you the kind of things that you run into when you when you make an effort like this. But, you know, um, Daryl Westbury, one of the guys involved with the Evo 64, he very graciously donated a prototype board. It was like the last prototype before they did their final release. So it has, you know, it has everything. It's it's all feature complete. But um he said, yeah, you know, you can auction this off and, and then the proceeds can go to the film. And I thought, oh, man, that's really kind. That's really awesome. And I thought, oh, man, by international shipping, I'm like, I know I'll do it through eBay because eBay will handle all that for me. No problem. And sure enough, you know, I go on eBay. I set up the I set up the auction and, you know, international shipping is turned on by default. And I'm like, oh, great. Perfect. You know, everyone will be happy. Everybody will get a chance to, you know, bid on it. And like, I would say maybe in the first 12 hours, I started getting messages like, why can't, <laughs> you know, someone who was pretty nice from the Netherlands was saying, I, you know, really, you should allow this to be bid on in the Netherlands because people will be interested. And I'm like, what? What do you mean? What do you mean you can't? And then like, like not even a half hour later, this guy is like, hey, I live in Canada. You have people in your film from Canada and I can't bid on this. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, what? yeah, and I call eBay, I, which is amazing that you can actually get some, you know, someone on the phone at eBay. And it was a, that's like a 45 minute call trying to figure out why international shipping had been banned on this item. And they said, wow. oh, it looks like because they think it contains batteries or other dangerous flammable electronics. And then I contacted Daryl and he was like, oh, yeah, that's happened to me before. And I've had to talk to them. And da, 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 da. and so, you know, I had pumped out a bunch of posts about, you know, how oh, we're auctioning off this Evo 64 and all these different places with the URL. So, like, they won't let me alter anything now that the auction is running and that oh. bids on it. And I'm like, this is really so i had to cancel that auction and restart wow. it with new settings that basically said that i was going to handle the international shipping and so 
yeah, it's just stuff like that, like can make you just want to go insane. Like you put all this time and effort into something like that. And then one silly thing that you can't control, like will can bring the whole thing down. So like, yeah, it's, uh, just just marketing for it in general it's like a it's i mean i have a i have a full-time job as a filmmaker at another organization but like trying to market the film and get the word out there about it and do promotions and write people back and it's it's another job (laughs) yeah well i'm glad i'm glad you were ready to talk about it today oh yeah definitely definitely i i'm i'm excited about it and and you know, and I really appreciate you guys asking me on to do it. Absolutely, that's <laughs> that's what we're here for. Exactly. I mean, we had we had quite some projects uh, uh, regarding such things. You know, um, yeah. Currently, I'm looking I, at the, uh, yeah. the project page. There's 16 yeah. days left to de- until deadline. You're about at about 20 percent, I think, at the moment. Yeah, yeah. That as tends- far as their data goes, we're we're like average. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I, I was kind of like, oh, but you know, they have all these metrics, and it's like, oh, okay, we're we're doing about what you would what most campaigns normally do. Yeah. You know, there's kind of this like in the beginning, there's there's kind of a huge kickoff, and then mm-hmm. you know, you tend to gain a lot of ground in the beginning, then week two it it kind of goes down quite a bit. And then, you know, towards the end, it sort of ramps up. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You hope. And that's what I'm hoping for. And definitely, uh, but yeah, it can be, it can be nerve wracking for sure. (laughs) Oh, definitely. (laughs) But yeah, we're, we're hoping to see it happen and doing what we can to get the word out there. You know, of course you guys are gracious enough to, to give me, give me time here. And like, this past uh, let's see Saturday, um, there's another computer show, uh, retro computer show in Canada called World of Retro Computing, mm-hmm. and um, you know they had they had me on, which was really nice, and like that that's just uh, again what I've been what I've experienced throughout the community. People are really just welcoming, and they wanna they wanna get the word out about things like this, about new projects, new hardware, new software. And so, yeah, yeah, that's really awesome, you know, that the doors are kind of wide open. So, yeah. Right. Awesome. I mean, um, personally, I I hope for the Blu-ray platform. Oh, yeah. To happen, (laughs) to be honest. Yeah, I do, too. And and that's another thing that I just, you know, I kind of made, you know, ignorantly made some assumptions and turned out to be wrong i thought you know i've been doing video for 25 years i'm like eh, people don't want blu-rays they would rather just be able to watch it you know load it up on the tv and watch it i'm different you know? I'm yeah different. well you're not the only one like almost immediately nearly immediately i started getting feedback from people that like hey like how come there's no Blu-ray incentive at any level like i'm i'm not i'm really not interested in funding this if i don't get a blu-ray disc out of it i'm like oh well it's not that hard to do like i've authored blu-rays before and stuff like that um it takes time but you know if there's enough people who wanted it that would be cool i mean the expense of it of course is the replication 
and there's sort of like a minimum bar. Like you have to run a thousand. You're gonna pay to run a thousand, whether you run a thousand or not. And so um, there's sort of that. So that's like I, I at the beginning of the campaign, I had that way up high. Like okay, yeah, if we reach this insanely high number, then we'll do Blu-rays. And now I lowered it down to like just above our initial goal of twenty-five thousand. And so, like, if we get a little bit above that and there's enough room to do to do Blu-ray discs, like, happy to do it. And just didn't realize, like, how important that might be to some people. And, like, I guess uh, from, a, from a certain perspective, I can see that, you know. It's like you want to have you, – you invested in this thing and you want to physically have something that you can put your hands on, you know. And so, yeah. That makes total sense. And like, you know, it's like that. We all talk about that with software today, right? You know, back in the day, you'd go to, you know, here in the States, Electronics Boutique or or wherever. And, you know, you buy the big box and and all the artwork on it. And, and you know, you'd get that and, and take it home. And, and nowadays it's like, you know, download. <laughs> yeah, right. And all that sort of, but with some exceptions, you know, people who are, still producing box games, new, new box games, but it's kind of a, you know, something that's a, from a bygone era. That's kind of sad that we've lost that uh, on a lot of levels, but, but definitely I'm happy that there's still people out there developing games. So what would you guys say is the most impressive game that you've seen in recent years for the 64? Uh, definitely, um, 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 now, now I've now forgot I'm, its I'm name. I'm thinking Sam's Journey. Sam's Journey, yeah, that uh, was the name, and, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and also the, uh, the the Super Mario Brothers conversion. Yeah. Uh, the one-to-one. And the Sonic. Version. Yes. The Sonic one. Yes. Yeah, Sonic. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I, I, I was blown away by Sam's Journey. I'm like, what? How? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like how is this possible? Like, this is like an NES level game. Right. Yeah. You know? And of course, you know, uh, I know now, but didn't know back in the day that like they got the same processor. So I guess that makes sense in some levels, but you know, there's just, I guess so much more advanced tools now to develop software and machine language. And, and, and uh, we, yeah. we are, we are glad that we got Chester Carlson. Yes, as a, as a guest to interview. Oh, cool. <laughs> well, we just you, thought you that we have Chester Coulson. Okay, we, we did, we did, yeah. We, we, we just thought that we have him in the world. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, an interview that you guys did that I really enjoyed um, was with a with. Now I'm going to forget his name. John Kutchner. Am I saying that right? Z- the guy Z- who Z- wrote Space yeah. Taxi. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, and he's off. You know, he's got a whole different life and is not not involved, of course, in developing games for the 64 anymore. But but that was a game that I played when I was younger. And still that problem, that game is like whenever I'm like, well, I got 10 minutes yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. I get that out. And it's just so I don't know. It's fun. It's my kind of game. You know, I like. I like Jupiter Lander too, so maybe that just is something yeah. about you know the I kind played of game that. I, like. <laughs> I played that with my grandfather as a kid as well. Oh, I, I close taxi. my eyes and still see Space Taxi. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's burned into my brain. Pet one, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was a really fascinating interview you guys did with him, and like it was so cool to hear hear all the you know 
inside stuff about how he did it, even even that thing you just mentioned about his voice and about how that's really his voice and how he like somehow, oh, I just made hardware where I could record my voice. It's like, well, how did you... <laughs> How did you do right, that? Yeah. I didn't know how to do that. You if, if that interests you, I also interviewed Forrest Moser, who invented speech synthesis. Oh wow. That's so if you want if you want to learn more about that. Yeah. Um, he, you guys have an I extensive an catalog. Yeah. 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 You guys you definitely should be should be proud of all the stuff that you've covered. Like it, I mean that's a great thing. There is so much stuff out there, um, you know, uh, with people who are, who were a part of the industry back then, but that's, there's still, you know, there's still, there's always, I mean, there's an endless amount of things that you could cover. So yeah. like, yeah, kudos to you guys for like preserving that, like, you know, through what you're doing right now, you're helping like, you know, you're helping to preserve history, which is really a cool thing to do. We do what we can. You too, with the movie then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. I hope to. From the user perspective, not from yeah. the inventor perspective. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's the only perspective I have. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, it makes sense. Why would you do the fifth movie interviewing the engineers from Commodore? Right. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. You know, or the fall of Commodore, or the mistakes right. they made, or something. It's like yeah. it's been documented to death. Right. Yeah. yeah. There's books and all mm -hmm. that stuff is great. It's not. A, it's not a knock them that stuff at all. You know, I'm glad it's out there. And then, you know, you have you have a lot of people out there who are preserving other aspects. You know, um, Dave McMurtry, who's like, if you've ever heard of him, he's like preserving. I, he's somebody we hope to interview for the film. And he's doing a lot of preservation work of documents and stuff that came from Commodore that like, you know, probably without his efforts, would just be gone. You know, yeah. so yeah. it's really cool. What It's really cool how there's different people in the community who are preserving different parts of not only Commodore Commodore's history or Commodore 64, but other stuff too. Right. You know, so there's people who are doing, you know, floppy preservation. And just today I was reading, like some lady was like, Oh, I helped to write these educational games and I have them on floppies and I'd like to, you know, archive and preserve them, but I just don't know anything about doing it. And like, boom, instantly people from this Facebook group jumped in and this guy's like, I can do it. And I'm going to be really careful with it. I'm a data preservationist. You know, that's my trade. And so, you know, want to get, you know, and, and things like archive.org exist now. Yes. Like, that's really which cool. We, which we also interviewed. <laughs> oh, hey, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the hardest part here was to make him not speak about the demo scene because he was so much about demo scene, amazing. Yeah. And I'm like, man, we wanted to talk about archive.org, not about the demo scene, you know? So. Yeah, well, the yeah. demo scene is pretty amazing. It, you know, uh, when I was at World of Commodore, that really is the first time that I saw some of that stuff in person. And I was just floored. I'm like, wait a minute. Like, that's a Commodore 64? Like, doing that? Like. Yeah. I, I can't put my mind around how they can get it to do some of the things that, and I also saw a pet that was doing live video capture and yes, <laughs> converting I've seen it that into one. I've seen that one. Yep. Yep. I mean, people are just so creative and they've, and they've come up with so many different things and it just I keeps mean, going on and on and on. So I like, mean, I, I'm a coder and I, I still don't, I can't wrap my brain around how they had to do some of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's beyond me. It's not my, definitely not my gift at all. So, try to stay in my lane and produce films 
Just one thing to mention, perhaps, you yeah. said in our emails conversation that whether you would include Europe in your movie depends on how much you re reach as a funding yeah. because of travel expenses and so on. Perhaps could you tell us a bit more about that? I mean, what's the, um, I don't know, the burden level mm -hmm. where you would say, okay, we would go global at this point? Yeah, so... There are interviewees in North America who, you know, they're at some level of commitment to being involved with the film if we're funded. So they're really the first priority. But, you know, if we get funded past a certain point, and it's hard to say what that point is, um, but there are other people in, you know, in other areas of the world who I've contacted and are interested in, are not interested, I've told them I'm interested <laughs> in having them be a part of the film and would they consider it? And some of them have affirmed that they would. So, um, you know, again, it's like, well, it's all going to hinge on like, what is the amount of money we bring in? And, um, you know, what can we reasonably do with that funding? So, you know, I kind of wrote about it, too, in the blog on the website about why we made that decision early on and and, you know, limiting the scope of the film. So once again, it doesn't become this behemoth of, you know, just something that we can't accomplish. And like, yeah, it would be great. I mean, I love any excuse to go to Europe, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, um, it will totally depend on the funding that comes in and and how in determining how can we use that the best like if we can only go to one place overseas where should that be and who should it be and you know what would really be the best and you know we're gonna get flack no matter what we do <laughs> from some people but we're gonna we're gonna do our very best like i said to represent the community as best we can and and we hope because of that 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 the community will get behind it or you make a second part, the or, European, yeah. Edition. Yeah, yeah, part two, <laughs> European yeah. edition, you know? Yeah, that would be true. And that's something that I, I think I have talked about. And I think I even talked about that in the blog. But like, yeah, like what would be awesome is that like if this gets funded and successful and then people really like it, then like, yeah, maybe we do another film where it's like, you know, the other side of the pond. Like we're going to now we're going to spend all our time overseas and really cover that side. I think that's that's kind of part of you know the, con the the conventional wisdom we're trying to follow here is like if we try to do it all we're not going to do anything well if we focus on one thing maybe we can do that really well and spin that off into you know more success more development even more films so well i love the fact that it focuses largely on ntsc as it is because yeah most of the most of the stuff that you see focuses more on the European scene because it was arguably a bigger, bigger mm. scene over there than it was. Yeah. Here. Yeah. And it was a different kind of a scene than it was over here. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that like there's been other people in the community who have sort of given me that kind of feedback. Like, yeah, you know, the European scene is great, but it feels like a lot of things are focused on the European scene and it's kind mm -hmm. of refreshing to see something that's focused on North America. You know, there's a whole scene in South America too, like yeah. right with the dream and like 
Yeah. Maybe that's maybe that's the third film. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we, we, we got we got Argentina interviewed as well. Yeah, we got the, we, we got the got contacts it. for you. Yeah. You guys have yeah. already done it. <laughs> yeah. So there's no need. Yeah, and that's kind of another thing we we did that that was hard because it limited us. Is like, well, we want to do everything on site. Like we want to go to where the people are, interview them in their context, in person, and you know that limits what you can do because you can't go everywhere and you can't do everything. So, you know, you just try to be smart and wise and do the very best you can with the resources that you have. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Yeah. yeah. I mean, so, so where can people find out more about you actually? Sure. Oh, about me personally, that'd that'd be pretty. I mean, I mean, do you have some social media and stuff? Yeah, definitely. So we're on all the social media things like, um, you know, it's facebook.com forward slash I adore my 64 film Instagram. Same thing. Instagram.com. I adore my 64 film. Same with, with X or Twitter or whatever they're calling it these days. Um, but probably the best place to go is just, I adore my 64 film.com. Um, because you know, that's where the main website is. And then our campaign link is there. And also, I mean, if people are interested, I don't know that too many people would be, you know, deeply interested, but um, there's a blog on there where I've sort of documented our entire journey, you know, starting all the way back in 2020. And, you know, it's had, it's had some ups and downs. And there was a couple of times that I thought, like, this is the end, (laughs) you know, I would just can't go on from here. And, you know, just, just the hills and valleys that we've gone through, you know, there's a couple other people who are involved and, and I've really appreciated their help. One, one friend of mine in particular, you know, Dan, who's uh, been sort of associate producer and second cameraman who couldn't have done it, couldn't have gotten this far without him. So, um, yeah, just detailing all that stuff on there. So that's fun if, if you're interested in that sort of thing and you can, obviously you can contact us through the website, but, um, you know, if you if you want to reach out to us through email, it's just uh, I adore my sixty four film at gmail dot com. So yeah, all the normal social media stuff is out there, not too hard to find. And you know, the YouTube channel. Um, if you just go on YouTube and Google and Google, if you go on YouTube and search I adore my sixty four film, you're gonna find it. Like it'll come right up. <laughs> so you can watch awesome. a ten minute preview, and there's a couple other videos we have on there that has some content with um, a couple of the interviewees, um, just some short stuff, them making statements about different aspects of the Commodore 64 and Commodore in general, and like the pitch videos on there. And yeah, yeah, I really, uh, really welcome feedback and input and, you know, from the audience because it, it's a it's a film that's intended to be about the community and for the community. So yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Awesome. Exactly. Well, awesome, you guys. I've got to run, but thank you right. so much yeah. you, for doing it. And I go to bed. And All right, yeah, you get some sleep. <laughs> thank you, AJ. All right. Thank you. Have a good you. night. Bye bye. Bye bye.